And if you have your Bible with you, turn it to Luke chapter 16, your iPhone, your iPad, your, grab your neighbor's phone. It'll be on the screen. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly. Make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He replied, he told him, take your bill, make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 14, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Father, we thank you for this word today. We know it has the power to change our lives. And we pray that you would do just that. God, we came with an expectation that you do something in our lives today. And we know you don't disappoint. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Turn around and tell somebody it's time to handle your business. It's time to handle your business. Jesus told a lot of stories. And he told a lot of stories that people didn't understand a lot of times. And... Um, a lot of times the disciples didn't understand what he was saying. And so you can imagine in chapter 15 before this, Jesus was telling some stories, some parables. And he was talking about the value of salvation, the extent that God would go to to redeem you. He's talking about the lost coin and when you found it, how important it was. And he talked about the lost sheep and the extent that the shepherd would go to find it. And he talked about the prodigal son, the lost son, how the extent uh, that God will go to. And so then we get to chapter 16. And he starts to teach the, the disciples another story. You can imagine Jesus sitting down and saying, hey guys, I want to tell you a story. And when you read this on the face, it sounds like that Jesus is advocating for something that none of us would necessarily advocate for, right? 
So can you imagine Jesus telling the story, hey, man, there was a, there was a business owner who, who was pretty wealthy, and he hired a guy to manage all his stuff. And, and there came a day when he realized that the manager wasn't handling his stuff at all. And so he calls him in. He says, look, you're done. You're done. I'm not, I'm not, God can't condone this, man. You, 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 you've just messed everything up. And so you're going to be fired. You're, you can't work for me anymore. So when the manager finds that out, he, he realizes what has happened. And he goes out, comes to the conclusion. He said, I'm too weak to dig and I'm too prideful to beg. We've all been there, right? So he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, my last thing I'm going to do is cheat right before I'm fired. So he said, I'm going to call everybody in that owes my boss something. So he calls him in one at a time. He says, hey, man, how much do you owe him? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. He said, cut that in half. Quick, write it down, 450. Let's, let's make this happen. And, and, and don't, don't forget, don't forget me. My name's Chris. And when I'm fired from this place, I might need somewhere to stay. Remember, I did you a favor. Remember that I helped you out. And then he calls another guy. And, man, how much, how much do you owe him? He said, 1,000. It's a huge number. He said, hey, quick, sit down, write, it, write 800 down. And remember me. You know, I might not have his job forever. I might need some help later on. Remember the favor I did you, remember. And, um, and, the, and the boss comes back and he says, Man, that was a really smart thing to do. Can you imagine the disciples sitting on the other side of Jesus going, what? Like Jesus had a habit of doing stuff like this, didn't he? Like when he was at the, when he was at the well and the disciples went on the town to get something to eat and he talked to the woman the whole time. He hadn't moved from the well. And the disciples come back and they say, hey, you want something to eat? And he goes, he goes I've, already, I've already eaten. And he said, what did you eat? And he said, I have food that you know not of. Like, did you put a Snickers bar in your back or something when we weren't looking? Like, so, it was really easy back then to misunderstand him. And so he explained himself a lot of times to the disciples. But this is a passage of scripture that is really easy for us to misunderstand if we're not careful. We will walk away from this saying that in a pinch, it's okay to lie. In a pinch, it's okay to mismanage somebody else's stuff for the benefit of yourself if you're not careful in how you uh, interpret scripture and and i just want to encourage you don't just read through scripture man if you don't understand it just stop right there and go god man i need you to help me understand i need to get a get a get a commentary or go ask somebody or 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 figure it out google it don't google it (laughs) get seven thousand different opinions but it's important that we understand because Jesus is not telling us to lie. He's not telling us to mishandle other people's stuff. Uh, there's a couple things that stand out in this story to me, and we're going to talk about we're going to talk a little bit about finances today. And I know that uh, if you're newer to this church, uh, maybe you come in line and they're like, "Man, he's already talking about money." Uh, I, I know I've been in church a long time. And I know the angst people have when it comes to money uh, in church and all that stuff. I, I, I saw a guy on Twitter one time said, um, well, I got to make a decision tonight. I'm going to go to the club or the church. Both of them want my money. 
I would say the only thing is, is you don't complain about leaving it at the club. Uh, it, it's just what it is. And people, people get weirded out about it. I was with a guy last night uh, in, a, in a cookout, and we start talking. You know, I'm the pastor that shows up at the cookout. You're going to pray over the food. And uh, everybody puts their beer behind their back. But uh, no, there wasn't any drinking here. But we started talking. I've known this guy a long time. And, and he, said, um, he said, man, I remember the first time I walked into church, you know, it was a country church, and they just pointed at me and said, you're a visitor. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And like, go ahead and stand up, give us a testimony. And he said, they embarrassed me in front of everybody, and then they wanted me to pay them. And, uh, and so it was just kind of something, he, it was hard for him to get over. But the, one of the things that, that I believe causes so much angst is because we have so much trouble with money. And so I don't know about you, but I don't like putting, people putting fingers on things that I have trouble with. And so uh, money has the capability to make our lives immensely enjoyable or unbelievably unbearable, right? You could love your spouse with everything you have within you and, and have money trouble and end up hating each other's guts. Isn't that statistically true in marriage? Money is the number one thing people get divorced over, and it ain't because you got too much. So... You know, the Bible is over and over again clear about the resources God has given us. And that's the, one of the key things that you need to understand. Jesus is telling this story. He starts out by letting us understand that this guy was managing someone else's stuff. And I want to present to you that at best we are managers of someone else's stuff. If you don't believe me, uh, pay off your property and then stop paying property taxes on it. And you can stand at the edge of it with a pitchfork saying, this is my property. And they will sell it for the taxes in a hurry. We're managers of it, really. If you live 70, 80, 90 years, man, people, I mean, people at this church live a long time. But if you, even if you lived, lived 100 years, at best, we're managing it for a period of time. And if we do really well, we'll leave it to our kids, the ones we like. Or we will spend it all. I, I keep telling my parents and my in-laws, you know, they'll be like, well, we were thinking. I'm like, spend it, man. Spend it. Get it done. You worked all your life. Have fun. Do good things. Spend it. Because when you die, I'm going to spend it. No. But money is something that we have to, we have to get God's, God's perspective on it. We have to get God's perspective on it. And that's what... Jesus is doing here. And the first thing he lets us know is that we are at best managing someone else's stuff. We're managing the stuff God entrusts us with. And, and there's a purpose he's put behind it. There's, there's other stories that Jesus told that back it up. The parable of the talents where the, the master entrusts uh, three different people with three different amounts according to their skill level, to their ability. And then he goes away for a long time and comes back and expects a return. They were managing the master's things. And so right up front, you realize that this guy was in a part position where he didn't have, he didn't have authority to, uh, to make the deal that he was making, but he had the authority to manage the stuff and the, and the, and his boss, the owner expected a return, expected something other than what he was getting. And so he calls him in on the carpet and he says, Hey, listen, buddy, you have mismanaged. You've been doing nothing. You've been doing absolutely nothing. And now 
This period of time is over. I can't let you do this any longer. You have to, you have to quit. I can't have you managing this. That is a disaster. And, and I, I can't have you do any more damage than what it is. And so, so we realize that we are, the Bible calls it stewards of what God has given us. And what the manager realized is that one day he was going to, and it came to pass right then, that I have to give an account on how I handled all this stuff. And so now he's standing there looking at the owner, looking at his boss, and realizing all this time that I've just kind of laid back and done nothing, came in and chilled at work, came in and just like, ah, it's not a big deal. All that time I had neglected to prepare for the day I was going to be called into the office and said, what are you doing? Neglected to prepare for it. And that realization came to me uh, this week, uh, Tuesday morning. I got a phone call about 7.30 asking me to come to the hospital uh, for a guy that uh, I met probably 18, 20 years ago. He's 57 years old, had liver cancer, and um, his wife called me about 7.30 Tuesday morning and said, hey, Chris, can you come up here? Uh, to the hospital. So I get up to the hospital and he's unresponsive. And, um, and you wait about two hours and watch, and watch a, a good guy take his last breath. And you realize, because I don't know about you, I'm 40 years old. I don't wake up every morning going, boy, this could be my last one. I don't look over at my wife and say, bear, kiss me now. It might be the last one. But that might be a good strategy. Um, you know, just keep eternity right in front of you. Like the Lord could come in the next 30 seconds. You better be kissing me when it happens. Um, the, the, the deal is that I don't have that mentality. I know we're supposed to live in the light of eternity and all that stuff. But honestly, honestly, if we ask ourselves, do you think in the next morning that could be your last one? You probably would say no. But I was made keenly aware on Tuesday morning that, hey, listen, that day that guy was 57 years old. I walked into the hospital and looked at him uh, laying on the bed. I looked at his wife and I said, he, he looks good. Like, he, he doesn't even look sick, really. And you realize that you've only got a window of time. You only have a certain amount of time to handle what God has given us and handle it well. And if you're like me, there have been seasons of my life where I didn't handle it well, where, where I was just like, whatever, I'm not. All this stuff is too much to think about, and I just would rather just do it my way. And, and, and one day you have the realization that, hey, wait a second. There's a, there's a reckoning coming. And there's grace and mercy and all that stuff, and, and that's wonderful. But one day, one day I'll give an account. It's true. And so what happens is when this guy comes in, he realizes that that day is coming. That I'm going to lose my job. And he immediately shifts to, to, to thinking about past his job, right? He says, well, listen, I, I'm actually incapable. He says this, I'm actually incapable of taking care of myself past this job. He says, I'm too weak to dig. I just can't go out and dig ditches. I'm too weak. And he said, I'm too prideful to beg. So I don't, so now I've got to come up with something. So his scheme is, is that he's going to bring in all the guys that owe his boss money and he's going to do 50% Friday or whatever. He's going to call them in. And he's going to say, Hey man, how much, how much do you owe? 
And he said, I owe 900 gallons of olive oil. How did you get 900 gallons of olive oil in debt? He says, quick, sit down, write down 450. But listen, you know, remember me. <laughs> I'm the one that cut your bill. Remember, like, like, I might not be working for this company very much longer. Just remember me. I mean, he calls another guy. He said, remember me. There's a thing in this. He, he is being immensely dishonest and operating in authority that he doesn't have. But Jesus telling the story puts this twist on it. And instead of the manager coming back and going, hey, buddy, you just gave away 450 gallons of olive oil that wasn't yours. Why did you do that? That was my olive oil. I didn't want to give it away. He rightly owed me that I should have gotten 900. But you wrote down 450. But the manager, the, the owner doesn't come back. The owner doesn't come back and say that. He comes back and he says, hey, listen, that was pretty smart. And then Jesus goes on to say <clears throat> that the people of this world are smarter, more shrewd in these areas than the people of light. And you go, well, what does that mean? Should we, should, okay, Jesus, does that mean you want us to start lying? Because they're smarter, they're more shrewd than us. And they, they got lied to get to this place and, and he was lazy. Do you want us to be lazy and then lie to make up for it? Is that what being shrewd is? Being lazy and then lying to make up for it? So we're going to look at the real point that Jesus is making. If I found myself in this situation, I'm, I am apt to maybe call one guy in. I'm a little chicken about some certain things. Uh, so I might have called one guy and said, hey, listen, I don't really want to get caught on my way out. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to do you a favor. And then what I'm counting on is you doing me a favor. I already know I'm getting out of here. I already know I'm getting. But if I could just, I don't, I'm not going to do this for everybody. I just need to know that you can help me out. When I get out of here, you think I could room with you a little, you know. You think you, think you can help me out a little bit? Maybe give me a job. Maybe invite me to your house. Maybe feed me a little bit. I'm willing to knock your bill in half to do that. This guy does something very curious. It says he calls everyone in that owes his boss money. Everyone in that owes his boss money. And I thought, man, he is really, really trying to figure his stuff out, isn't he? Calls everybody in, making deals left and right. One of the things that I think plagues the church a little bit is that a lot of times we don't prepare for our future. Jesus was saying, look, the people of this world are more shrewd than the people of light. He said, he said look, this manager, when he figured out that he was getting ready to have a life change, he went to work, man. Whatever it took to make it happen, he's going he's gonna to make sure he has a future. And, and we are in this era in the church of grace and mercy and and so we're like, oh, you know, God just loves me. He's going to forgive me. It's not a big deal. I'll make it to heaven. And Jesus is saying that it's funny how worldly people will prepare more diligently for their future than the church. So this guy takes the tactic, um, takes the broadcast tactic. I'm going to cut everybody's bill to make sure to make sure that I'm prepared for when I get fired, somebody will take me in. Now, Jesus tells another uh, parable. It's called the parable of the sower. And I'm not going to read the whole scripture. They can, they can put it up there and, and, uh, and we, we can fish through it a little bit. But Jesus basically tells the disciples, he says, 
there was a farmer who was throwing out seed. And basically, he threw out seed on a bunch of different types of soil. And when he threw the seed out on the soil, the type of soil determined how it came up. And so he threw the seed out on some rocky soil. It didn't come up. And, and he threw some seed out in some other places. Uh, and it came up because there was no moisture. And then he threw the seed out on some, and then the, and the, it came up a little bit and the weeds choked it out. And then he finally hit some soil that was perfect for growing. And it said the, the, the seed came up and produced 160 and 30 fold. Man, somebody say that's a good return. That's a good return. <clears throat> you say, what does sowing seed have to do with the God lying about stuff he's managing? When he realized that he had to start preparing for his future, he started throwing out as much opportunity as he could possibly get to. He said he called in everybody. Hey, I need to make sure I've got a future past this place. I need to make sure I've got something set up. I need to make sure I'm ready for what's coming. I need to make sure I'm ready for what's coming. So what happens in the church world is this. Like the parable of the sower, we want to see return on our seed, but here's how we plant it. It's a little bit different. Um, I'm, I, I like grass. I just need to preface it. Some of you heard me say it before. I like grass a certain way in my yard, and I've been trying to mentor my son into this exquisite grass mowing uh, uh, endeavor. You have, to mow, you have to mow grass straight this way. And then straight this way. Any other thing dishonors God. It does. It is not godly to mow your grass in circles. It's not godly to like some random pattern just because your house is shaped. You can't do that. You have to mow down and back. Down and back. And then your neighbor who is across the street will look at you and say, the, the favor of God is on that house. Look at their, look at their yard. It's unbelievable. It's a, it's a miracle. And so I've read books about it. That's not a lie. I've read grass books. Um, I have Scott's grass books. I know how tall you should grow it, when you should fertilize it, and all that stuff. So this is a big deal at our house, and I've tried to mentor my son. He's been mowing since he was eight, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a privilege to get on the mower at the Jones house and make it look like it does. But, um, but here's what I think we do in terms of sowing. In, in the church, you know, when we moved into our house, I planted the grass seed in the yard. And, um, and here's what we do. We tend, we have a tendency to get, you know, like grab one piece of grass seed and we, and we stick it in the ground and we, we put it in there and we, and we say, Lord, I sowed my seed. <laughs> Look at it. I sowed my seed, Lord. Isn't it beautiful? And then we water it. And, and the little seed pops up out of your yard. And you look around your family like, come around, look. Look, we've got, a, we've got a blade of grass in our new house. Isn't that so awesome? A blade of grass. God has poured out his abundance in our lives. This one little blade of grass. And then we go to the seed store and we, and we get two more seeds. You know, because things are tough. So I'm going to get two seeds and I'm going to go back and I'm going to plant I'm going to plant my seed. And I'm going to say, look, kids, the seeds are growing. We've got three blades of grass now. God is so faithful. It's amazing. 
But then what happens is we go, is man, man, time, times are loose. Man, I got a better job. This is amazing. So, so what'll happen is, is maybe somebody in the family says, hey, dad, what about the yard? And he said, well, daddy needs a new truck. Somebody say, amen, daddy needs a new truck. Oh. Amen. So, so then we go to the store and, and, we, and we say, hey, listen, I need some more seed, but I can only afford one more seed because I, did you see the truck I'm carrying that seed in, man? <laughs> I mean, that seed is, that truck is amazing. And so we, we get one more seed and not because we're doing poorly financially now, but because our prerogatives are some, so we just plant one more little seed. So have you ever w- drove into a neighborhood and, and saw a beautiful house with a terrible yard and went, that's a beautiful house? You never have. It could be a million dollar house. If the grass was dead, you'd be like, what the heck's wrong with that grass? Wouldn't you? The first thing you'd say is like, what's wrong with that grass? And then I would say they probably didn't mow it right and they killed it. And then God's favor left the house and killed the grass and they'll never sell it now. But it's the first thing you notice when you pull up to a house. You notice the grass and how they took care of it. And when I planted my grass, it was, it was a perfect scenario. Uh, the excavator that I had um, did a great job. And all I had to do was drive a tractor over it and rake it a little bit. And then, and then I went out there with bags and bags of seed. And I had my little spreader that I put on, you know, the ones you strap on. You pour the seed in and you just walk around like a farmer. You're like, look at me. And you're just throwing seed everywhere. And then I started, I was reading the bag about how much seed I should put down. And I thought, well, that's for the normal yard. Yeah, 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 we're not doing that. So I just crank it up a little bit. This is the Jones yard, right? We got we to gotta have better grass than the neighbor. It's God's favor on our life. It really is evidence of it. So we have to have better grass. So you just dial it up and we just, just, just dump in the seed. It's spreading it all over the place. You see what Jesus is telling us about the shrewd manager as when he realized it was time to work out his future he started, he started doing favors all over the place. He didn't just put one little, he didn't just do one little favor to the guy and, and say, I hope this works out at the end. He started saying, man, I'm calling everybody and I'm making, it's deal time. Because I need to make sure my future is secure. I need to make sure the reward I'm going to get after this. I need to make sure I, I'm, I'm, I've got something worked out. And so what we do is we just think, we're, we just like, oh, we're just going to enter into our eternal glory. Jesus said that when he, when he left, that he was coming back looking for a return. That he left and he's going to be gone a long time. A lot of the parables, the guy was gone a long time. There was this great expanse of time that you could work things out. And at some time in our lives, we come to the realization that maybe we haven't been managing everything that well. And, and oh my goodness, I'm, I'm closer to the time he's going to come back. And, and I really haven't been doing much about this. And so, so maybe I need to crank the seed spreader up more and stop making excuses for why I'm sowing one seed and just start throwing it out. Because here's the curious thing about the parable of the sower 
when the guy sowed the seed, he just sowed the seed, right? How many, how many have ever grown anything in a garden? You put the seed in, and then what'd you do to make it grow? You got down and talked to it. You're like, oh, well, cute little seed. Why don't you grow a little bit? And you talk to it, and you put water, and you just you pull it back out, and you rub on it. No. You put it down there, and then mysteriously, if your little teeny kids don't pull it out, it, it just grows up. It rains on it. I planted my yard. It rained. I put straw down on it. It rained in two days. And again, I said, it's a favor of the Lord on our family, and God is with us. And, and I just watched in amazement how all that seed I'd put down just started going, coming up and growing. And then one day I mowed it, and I had my chest sticking out. This is amazing. Look at it. It just grew up. It is a, a lush, green lawn that we could roll around in and be prideful about. You know what we'll be judged on when the Lord returns, when your day is over? Not how much return came, but how much you sowed. You realize in the parable of the sower and and other parables, the deal was never, never, um, why didn't you get more return? It It was like, why didn't you do more with what you got? Why didn't you throw more out? Because the parable of the sower, all he had to do was throw it out. And so what happens is he threw it out. He kept throwing it out. Kept throwing it out. He kept throwing it out. And some of it landed on rocky soil. Didn't do well. Some of it landed in thorny places and grew up and, and, and got struck out. But then he, when he threw it on ground that reproduced, it made up for every other seed that didn't. 30, 60, 100 fold. See, God is, is telling us is that there's a future for us and we should be preparing for it right now. That this is not something that we can just throw off and, and whatever, it doesn't matter. No, he's saying there's a day coming when I'm going to ask you, what would you do with all that seed I gave you? Well, Lord, you know, I just planted one because I was busy with the other stuff, you know. I was just busy. And then what happens is, like the Pharisees at the end of the story, where it says they love money, and Jesus calls them out on it. And he says, hey, listen, the things that humans value are awful to God. And so what happens is, because we, we keep the seed that we're supposed to throw out, we end up having big houses with awful yards. And the trouble is, God sees right through that. He sees right through it. So the, the shrewd manager says, look, I'm not taking a chance. I'm throwing it out. I'm throwing it out everywhere. I'm going to make sure that when I lose this job, I've got a future. I've got some place to go. I'm going to make sure. And then you flip to the parable of the sower, and he's just throwing seed out. He's just throwing it out. So I ask myself sometimes, is the issue what God has given me or is the issue what I'm doing with what he gave me? Because I'm going to tell you something. There's been seasons of my life that I've made the issue about what he gave me. 
constantly, Lord, you didn't, like, I don't know, why, why, why don't I have more? Why don't you give me more? Why, what, you know, what's going on? Why are we so strapped? Why does it look like this? Why, why, why? And, I, and then I read stories like this over and over and over again. And Jesus says, how can I give you more if I can't trust you with what you already have? And I'm like, well, if you're going to be that way. And I realize it's not what he gave me. It's what I've been willing to do with what he gave me, right? So the Bible says that he came to seek and save those that are lost, that he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, that the whole reason Jesus came to earth was to redeem all mankind. And then he called me out of that to, to be a part of that process. And then the Bible says, Paul writes to the Corinthians in his second letter to him, and he said, listen, he said, if you will sow the seed, he will replace the seed that you sow over in abundance so that you can keep sowing and sowing and sowing. He said, he's going for the broadcast mode here. He doesn't want you to sow it one little seed at a time. He said, he said, if you will agree to sow it, he's telling the Corinthian church, look, if you'll agree to sow it, he'll make sure you have seed pouring in your sower nonstop so that you can continue to do that. Somebody say amen. So it's not what he gave me, it's what I'm doing with what he gave me that makes the difference. Motives matter. Jesus points to the Pharisees and says, hey, listen, I know that you've got this good-looking house But the yard's terrible. You're not planting seed. You're keeping it. You love money. You're keeping it. And he said, what people value is not what God values. God values redeeming souls. And so I'm going to ask one day, how much seed did you throw out? You know, there's times where I was afraid to throw seed because I didn't think there was any more seed left for me. Isn't that true? I want to read you a couple stories. Can I do that? Because uh, the danger is, is that you may think, well, he's getting paid to stand up there and say it. And he's going to collect an offering at the end of the service. No, we're not. But my heart is, if we're going to flourish, God wants us to flourish in every aspect of our life, right? Amen? Like He's like, well, he doesn't care about that. No, he cares about every aspect. I asked two people in our church to write me a letter. They're very generous people. And I'm curious a lot of times how generous people become generous. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about how a nice person became nice? Because I could tell you when they were two, they weren't. There are no nice two-year-olds, right? So now you're, now you're 35. How are you nice? How did you get nice? Well, it just happened. No, it didn't. You, that, what did you do? So when people, be, when people are generous, I want to know how they got there. Because I don't think generosity is just something that we're born with. I don't know about you, but I got three kids. None of them were generous when they were four years old. They were beating the death out of each other trying to get the same toy. Oh, I know your kids didn't do that. First time... I realized the devil was in my oldest was when she stole the toy from my middle daughter and hid it under the couch and lied to me about it. She's like four. I'm like, the devil was in you. I didn't even know it. I thought you were a good kid. And so now she's 17. She's on a mission trip. Please pray for her. Uh, if you've seen the pictures, it's awful. Um, no, it's not. She'll be there for a month. And I'm like, how did you go from lying and deceiving and being mean to your sister 
to that. You're going to have to write a book about it, Madeline, because you were bad. Listen to this. Since we've been married, we've always committed to tithing, but never really understood the benefit of the process. As the family grew, the struggle for 10% became stronger. As a sole provider for my house, and he puts that in bold, that he's a sole provider. I felt a very real responsibility to make sure we had enough money for any situation. Times were extremely tight when we were first married, like peanut butter and jelly for three years tight. Somebody say, hey, man, I like peanut butter and jelly. But we made it through. A lot, a lot of that was attributed through the same grit and determination that carried us through the 20 years of marriage, or so I incorrectly thought. After we moved here to West Virginia, which was another faith decision, we were still a little foggy on the why for the move. I didn't have a job. We didn't have any family in the area, and we found ourselves incredibly dependent on God. It is something I just realized that I miss. But I'll get back to that in a second. After a few months, God provided a job, which I'm still working at and have been for the last 13 years. He provided family. Most of my wife's family has moved here, and we found family at Hedgesville Church. And when they moved here, they found a place to go to church. The struggle for tithing was still very real to me. The thoughts of, well, it's in the Old Testament, so it's really not relevant. Battled with why are churches always looking to build, not putting any money in the community. Thoughts of, that eventually I stopped giving altogether. I was convinced that the church I was serving at at the time didn't need or deserve my money, and I couldn't see where it was going. Therefore, I didn't trust it. Come on, you got a reason, just like I got a reason, right? Fast forward a few years, we found Hedgesville Church. We started studying a little more about tithing. And then we start getting connected to what the church is doing, the community, the impact they have. I felt comfortable knowing the process and the people behind the ministry, but still I couldn't tithe consistently. We were afraid that automating it would get in the way of the weekly process of writing a check in remembrance. We felt like we needed to feel it in a way. What actually ended up happening, and you'll find this with any family, is the hustle of getting four kids ready for church on Sunday can easily cause you to forget to bring a checkbook for your weekly process of giving. About three years ago, I remember being amazed when we saw the report of our giving statement. It was maybe once a month. I had to commit more efficiently, so we decided to automate our giving, which you can do at HedgesvilleChurch.com. See what... (laughs) See, what had happened over the years of trying to commit to tithing is that I went from being concerned about how much I was giving to how much I hadn't given. I'm not sure when that change happened, but uh, uh, it was a very real experience. In the process of searching for the heart to give, God changed my perspective heart, my protective heart into a giving heart. Remember back in the beginning when I said I was the sole provider for my house, I was wrong for the last 20 years. It's been become obviously clear to me that God is a provider for my house. Come on, you so. What? Come on. Just pour it right back in. That God was the provider for my house. See, the act of giving is an act of surrender. There is a sense of pain, but that doesn't last because it isn't the loss of something that tithing focuses on. Tithing enables us to humble our will enough to let God show us what he has in store. 
He couldn't get through to me, to me until I recognized his role in my house. He couldn't get through to me, to, um, to me until we committed to serve in a way that he called. By fully embracing the tithing concept, we begin to start thinking, whatever you need, I say it consistently now to bosses, friends, leaders, it's just a part of our nature now. See, I asked a question because I'll email this guy and ask him to do something. And he, I'm not kidding. He will respond with whatever you need. And I think, you've been a jerk, man. Just say yes. Like, really? Now I understand. He really means whatever you need. You see, you, you just broadcast it. And then God, God starts changing your heart from, I can only put one little thing in the ground, and I'm going to just hope it turns into something, to, I'm going to broadcast it. Whatever you need, Lord. Whatever you need, just call me to it. Whatever you need. There's another side of the release of control into the commitment of tithing God commits to you. I'm not saying he wasn't committed before. I'm just saying that by opening up our hearts to trust him, he's able to get in there and sort things out. I love the way he says that. I'm going to surrender my life and trust him, and he's able to get in there and sort things out. Some of us, some of me, need sorted out. Amen? He's able to strengthen our relationships and provide wisdom and other opportunities that will always ultimately lead to his glory. Do you see how the conversation changes from how much I'm giving to how much glory God is getting? I'm just spreading the seed, man. I'm just spreading the seed. He's the one making it grow. He's the one that builds the yard ultimately, right? We have weathered storms in our relationship with family, friends, work, and many other areas of life. Situations that I know I would have walked away from became manageable. And that has impacted, that has impact on people in your life. Bosses started to see me handling stress differently. People started to notice our kids behave differently than us. He's saying if you tithe, your kids will straighten up. Amen. Each year of marriage brought its own unique set of challenges, but how we handled them started to change. We started to realize we weren't fighting about finances anymore, which was a big one for us because we were both committed to seeing what God was trying to get his people to learn when he commanded us to give. He's just trying to get us to broadcast it. He's just trying to get us to broadcast it. I say all this so that I can somehow shed light on the knowledge that the dedication of tithing, blind as it may seem, has improved our lives and the people in our lives. And that really our service, and really our service to God, to be instruments to positively impact people, to help them understand who He is and how much He loves them. Do you hear that? It's, it's just about broadcasting it. I'm going to read you one more really quick. I got to be honest, I'm a tough guy, but I was in my kitchen last night going over these things tears running down my eyes thinking God you've revealed yourself your secret you're here to redeem people and you want to use us to do it and you promised to supply all that we needed to do that and you've been so good to these people so good I want you to listen to this one it's another friend of mine I just go to breakfast with him I just want to know how he got to where he is man how'd you how'd you get like this He said, we felt like a lot of our story started when we were following the Dave Ramsey total money makeover plan. There's a commercial. We were without our mortgage, $90,000 in debt, a number we sort of justified because we could make our payments every month. You think $90,000 sound bad? That's just two nice cars, isn't it? You know, we don't think about it. It wasn't until we sat down and added everything up that we realized the severity of our situation. Following the Dave Ramsey plan sparked our interest in going back to church. We both at different times considered it, but more so after we had our first child. We started going to Hedgesville Church and paying off our debt. 
We were surprised how much being on a budget really helped. A few months into our attendance at church, about a year ago now, and continuing on mission of becoming debt-free, it started to weigh on us both to start tithing instead of making our weekly offering. Dave Ramsey advocates it. The church advocated it. It's learning more about the Bible. We started realizing how God commands it. We started feeling like if God tells you to do something, you should probably do it. Well, that's a novel idea, right? There was definitely some resistance initially to it. There was a little bit of, we don't have money to give. And 10% is a lot of money. We're trying to pay this debt off. We'll give after we get more paid off. But it really started to weigh on us both. So we decided to tithe in obedience to him as a gesture of gratitude for all he has done for us and all he has blessed us with. It was a little bit hard to watch such a big check at first. To some people, it may not be that much. But to us, especially knowing how much we still had to pay off, it felt huge. But we were grateful to be able to give that back to God and to support our church. We were surprised to find that we were still always able to pay our bills every month, pay off debt every month, and still have money left over. God always seemed to make the money work out. Now listen, he didn't make this up. I know this guy. In the 18 months of tithing, in the 18 months of giving 10% more than what they had expenses going out, in the 18 months of we're gonna, we're gonna trust, we're gonna sow, we're gonna crank the dial up on the broadcaster or we're just gonna keep cranking it. In the 18 months that they decided we're gonna honor God with their gifts, we're gonna sow into the kingdom to see a return. We've rid ourselves of almost $80,000 in debt. Somebody say, holy cow. And have not had to use any credit. My wife really felt like God was telling us to have her stay home with her kids after we had our last child. To be honest, she really wanted to stay home with the kids. But she also felt like that's what God wanted her to do. It was hard in some ways thinking about the pension she'd be giving up, the extra income. But we still felt like our obedience was rewarded. The husband was blessed with an income from his new position as a firefighter. A job he loved, a job he loves more than he ever did working as a police officer. And that covered most of the difference in having his wife stay home. Now that we've started the adoption process, now they're adopting a kid on top of this. We understand that we wouldn't have even considered adopting right now. And in this way, with this boy, if we hadn't trusted God and made the move for her to stay home with the kids. See how God works? At the, man, I, listen, Lord, I'm getting kind of empty, but I know you want me to continue spreading seed. So please fill it back up. Now that we, there have been a few times over the last year and a half where my husband told me, I feel like God is telling us to give money. So we give it. And honestly, we never miss it. We're glad when we can be a blessing to other people. I'm going to just keep selling. A few months ago, one of my husband's co-workers told him about a riding lawnmower for sale for $1,000. Initially, he asked what I thought about buying it, but storing it at his mom so she could use it too because she needed a new mower. We don't need a riding mower, but it would be nice to have one, and it would make mowing easier and quicker. Something told me we were supposed to just buy it for his mom and not for us. The message kept repeating over and over until I finally told him. I still thought about how much we could do with a thousand bucks. We still have a fraction of our debt to pay off and how much nicer it would be to have a mower for ourselves. You should just keep the seed. But we agreed and he bought it for her. She told us that she had been praying for a new mower and how sweet it was for God to answer her prayers through her own children. 
right around that time, I told my husband, I felt like God was testing our obedience that we, and there were other little things that had come up that made me feel like I was being tested. Signing up finally to help with the children's ministry, being one of them. It's just sowing seed. Within days after her husband bought this uh, rotting mower, we learned about a boy we were trying to adopt. I honestly felt like God was testing us in preparation for finally revealing our son. We've been waiting and wondering for almost three years after having the dream that we would adopt. I guess so we'd recognize his will for us and this little boy. We started our online adoption fundraiser with a 48 hours. We'd raised $3,000, which was huge. Other money has randomly come in from different places. We know it's been God's hand at work. I want you to listen to this. After reading in a memoir about adoption, where the author recounted how God put it on her heart to give a friend $100 randomly and anonymously, and after she did, she received two checks in the mail and a gift card adding up to $102. She talked about it being a divine refund with interest. When I read that, I remembered back to random money that we had received a few weeks earlier that we had already knew was from God. But it never occurred to me until reading the book that it was a divine refund. The same day, a few weeks earlier, we both received checks from Chase Credit Card Services. Come on, somebody say, it's a miracle already. The credit card company doesn't send you money back. They said they'd overcharged us interest during his military deployment. We should have been paying less interest through the Soldier and Sailors Relief Act. So his last deployment was two years ago. And I, and, and I knew just before the summer is when he bought his mom the lawnmower because I talked to him about it. Two years ago. He said his check was for $500 from Chase and mine was for $564, a total of $1,064. God had refunded us for the lawnmower and paid us interest. I was floored. Maybe I shouldn't have been and should have known that he is awesome and would provide in ways like that. But I was still and still am floored by it. Through true tithing, God has allowed us not only to give offerings to the church and to his children, but has somehow in his way provided for a $6,500 heating and cooling system, a $1,000 water treatment system, a $4,000 home birth. Somebody saying, having a baby at home ain't cheap. Not covered by insurance, donations to our local fire and emergency service, and the blessings go on. For both of us, we feel like the bigger part of our blessing from God have come from obedience more than being outright generous. We're glad that we can be generous when we do, but we always feel like it's been more because God put it on our hearts to be generous. We feel like we're just trying to do our best to listen to Him and do what He's asking us to do. We hope our story and testimony will bless others and glorify God. All the glory goes to God. We're humbled and grateful that He is able to use us, and we hope He continues to use us for his glory. Come on, stand to your feet. Listen. At the end of the day, you can turn this into a church wants your money sermon. And you'll miss the whole point. God wants to redeem souls. That's what this sermon's about. God wants to redeem your friends and neighbors. And Jesus says a really strange thing towards the end of this story. He says, use your earthly wealth to get friends. And I thought when I read that, I thought, God, like, you want me to be like MC Hammer? Is that what you, like, where I'm just paying everybody to hang around me to get friends? Like, I don't want friends. I don't understand what you're saying here. Use 
use earthly wealth to gain friends and then you and then you'll be preparing your way into eternity and he what he was saying was listen if you will sow the seed to usher people into the kingdom if you'll sow the seed you'll be preparing for your future and then he straight turns to the to the pharisees that are sneering at him the guys remember with big houses and awful yards because they won't sow any seed and he looks at them and says i know what you value and it's not what the kingdom values so he tells the disciples use what i gave you to win people use what i gave you to win people and if you use it up i'll give you more and i'll give you more than that and i'll give you more than that and paul later on writes to the corinthian church He who supplies seed to the sower will make sure you have more abundance to keep doing what you're doing. He's telling the Corinthian church, you keep sowing and you'll never run out. So in light of that today, you, both of these stories I read at the end, it wasn't even about the money. It was about God. How are you going to use me to redeem how are you going to use me in your, in your purpose? How are you going to use me to reach others? How are you? We want to be obedient to you. How are you going to use me? You want to flourish in finances? Let your prayer start there. How are you going to use me this week, Lord, to further your kingdom? I want to be a seed sower. And Lord, I just want to throw it out. The message translation, Paul writes to give with reckless abandonment. I'm just casting seed. I know it looks silly to you, but I'm preparing for a future. I'm preparing for a future. Can we pray this morning? Come on, bow your heads, close your eyes. You know, there's times in my life where I've let the circumstances of what is going on dictate how much seed I threw in the ground. And the older I get and the more I walk with Christ, the more I realize that even in a crisis, I can throw seed. Even in a crisis, I can throw it. He said, Chris, if you'll throw it down, somebody else will water it, but I'll make sure it grows. I'll make sure there's a return. I'll make sure that it's a return. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord. God, we came here today for you to change our hearts, and Lord, we want to obey you. Lord, you've given all that you have to redeem us and we want to give Lord we want to sow today to see other people experience the forgiveness that you've offered so freely to us God we want to be the people that take the opportunity I pray your blessing on everybody in this room I pray a transformation about the way we think about generosity and money I pray Lord, that you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings. And then I pray, Lord, that we we would increase our sowing capacity. God, this church would be a, a church that experiences a harvest. 30, 60, 100 times what we have put in the ground. Lord, let your kingdom be grown because we obey. Jesus mighty name we pray come on could you give him a clap of praise this morning come on if you receive that